Hi everyone, my name is Sue. I'm a full-time working woman in her late 40s and mom to two young energetic boys living on beautiful Vancouver Island. I want to take this opportunity to share my experience working with Rachel Varga. With aging skin and a busy lifestyle, I felt that I needed some serious guidance on how to tackle my skin issues and overall wellness. Since my early 20s, I have made my skin health, diet and exercise a top priority. But I eventually found that the skin and hair care products I was using and spending a lot of money on just weren't cutting it. I scheduled a one-on-one consultation with Rachel earlier this year in May and also attended the recent spring skin camp where I learned so much from the tutorials. During the one-on-one, I instantly felt a warmth and openness and Rachel really took the time to listen and provide practical and personalized recommendations. She now has me dialed in with my products and supplements to support me from the inside and out. After only using the products for a couple of weeks, my skin and hair felt incredible and it helped me to not only restore my confidence, but I am now receiving compliments on my healthy glow. Rachel also provided some valuable biohacking tips for both me and my family. Over the months, Rachel always took the time to respond to any questions I had. I recently had a 30-minute follow-up appointment with Rachel and again, it was such a pleasure connecting with her. Her expertise in the field of skin aging and radiance is unparalleled and I trust her completely. Rachel has changed my life and she has inspired me to strive to be the best version of myself in every way. I can't recommend working with her enough. Welcome to the Rachel Varga Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Varga, double board certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 20,000 rejuvenation procedures performed. I'm an international clinical trainer for other physicians and nurses as well, celebrity skin expert, having been featured on some of the world's top proactive aging podcasts and much, much more. Learn more at rachelvarga.ca and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome everyone to today's episode on the Rachel of Varga podcast. Thrilled to have you joining me here today. We're going to talk all about, well, is sugar really that bad for us? Is it okay? Are we sweet enough? How much sugar should we be consuming? What does sugar do to our skin that could be inadvertently aging us when we're trying to sometimes indulge a little bit and have a little sweet is it worth it? Or is moderation the key? So in today's episode on the Rachel Varga podcast, we are going to discuss aging in general, and how sugar consumption and blood sugar balancing impacts our skin aging, and also some of the changes that we experience as we age, especially for the female listeners, when they hit menopause and the switches that change in the body, we're going to be talking about some research with actually medical scientists here on the show. And thank you everyone for joining me here on the show. Please subscribe, like, share this episode with a friend or family member. Many blessings to you and your loved ones. Also, just a reminder that I live stream all of my interviews here on Facebook and YouTube. So be sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification. But all of the super, super juicy audio only solo episodes are always only exclusively on the podcast, which you can find at rachelvarga.ca forward slash blog, and be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platforms. So let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. We have Dr. Richard Johnson, MD. He's a practicing physician and has been a medical scientist for over 25 years. He is internationally recognized for his seminal work on the role of sugar and its component fructose in obesity and diabetes. His work has also suggested a fundamental role for uric acid, which actually is in some skincare and which is generated during fructose metabolism 
and the metabolic syndrome. Dr. Johnson is a prolific scientist with research that has been funded by the National Institute of Health since the 1990s. He has published over 700 papers. I'm on five, so I got a little bit of catching up to do with this gentleman. Lectured in over 45 countries, and his work is highly cited. He previously authored The Sugar Fix with Timothy Gower in 2008, Rodale, and the fat switch in 2012, Mercola.com, Dr. M, as I like to call him. He is currently a professor in medicine at the University of Colorado in Denver. He lives in Aurora, Colorado, which I love to get to Colorado one of these days with his wife, two children, and two miniature golden doodles. There's always something special with dog and animal lovers. Welcome, Dr. Rick Johnson, to the show. How are you today? Wonderful. It's great to be on your show, Rachel. I, I'm looking forward to learning about beauty myself. <laughs> That's great. About 25% of the audience here on the show are the gents. So it's, it's nice to talk about the differences between the two, because there are different aging processes that women experience. There's actually a paper on this from 2018, that women's faces change shape three times faster than men's between the ages of 50 to 60. Thank you, menopause. So we're also going to be talking about some of the switches that you've identified in your clinical research that goes off in relation to sugar and metabolism. So how did you get into this field? <laughs> well, uh, so I'm a clinician as well. So I'm a, a physician. I, I see uh, patients every day. But I also uh, am a professor who does a lot of research. And I love research. I'm very curious. And um, I started off many, many years ago trying to figure out um, what's the cause of high blood pressure. And it's known that high blood pressure is commonly associated with kidney disease. And so I started uh, looking at uh, the idea that maybe there was a problem with the kidney with its ability to excrete salt as a mechanism to drive high blood pressure. And that um, it took me to the idea that the kidney might might actually be injured to in a way where it couldn't excrete salt. And that took me to a substance called uric acid. And we found that uric acid could do that and that uric acid could raise blood pressure. And then, then we said, well, there's a lot of people with high uric acid. Um, and, you know, uh, how, how are we getting a high uric acid? And it turns out that one of the easiest ways to get a high uric acid is by eating sugar. And uh, sugar, you know, is basically table sugar has is called sucrose, but there's two sugars in it. One of them is glucose and one is fructose. And it's the fructose component that generates uric acid. And, and when we started studying that, because <laughs> I keep following my nose, <laughs> whatever I whatever is really interesting. When we started studying fructose as a cause of hypertension, we found that fructose also was really uh, capable of activating, uh, you know, a biologic process where animals would suddenly become fat and insulin resistant and old. <laughs> and uh, and so um, what, what we did was we started uh, studying the mechanism. We found that uric acid was involved in it. And then uh, and then I started studying uh, what caused the obesity in the wild when animals would get would hibernate and so forth, they would they would suddenly get fat. And we began to realize that this fructose um, could be used as a switch, that animals eating fructose 
could use it as, as a trigger to gaining weight. Uh, later on, we found out that this pathway is involved in aging. Uh, and so uh, it's really been a very exciting uh, tour, <laughs> beginning as a kidney doctor, and now I'm studying sugar and metabolism. But it's been a process over about 30 years. So it's been a long time. That's great. You learned so much in your clinical experience. Like the, the, there's a paper I just finished writing yesterday. It's an algorithm for skin rejuvenation and to start from lowest to all the, the two most invasive, not, not starting with the most invasive first, but working on the skin health and setting the stage. And you really only learn these things through clinical observation and taking notes from those clients of yours that are seemingly aging backwards or aging better than the rest? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are the common trends that you've observed in some of your most vibrant and radiant clients that seem to be slowing aging, slowing aging slower that you work with? Well, one of the thing I've noticed is that people who drink a lot of water, are you, is that co coffee too, though? Are you drinking coffee or water? Yeah, this is a little bit of bulletproof coffee with you know, some butter, MCT oil, <laughs> little bit of, a little bit of honey, even though I'm sweet enough, y'all. There but you go. A bit of honey. So I don't follow really any diet super strict. I just follow the foods that are good for me that I've identified through different biohacking testing and analyses. Well, anyway, uh, I... Sounds like a pretty good plan. Uh, you know, I noticed that a lot of people who drink water a lot, you know, tend to be skinny and, and healthy in appearance. And, uh, you know, but it was commonly viewed as a myth that drinking water is protective. Uh, but interestingly, in our research, we actually identified how water uh, can block aging processes. And uh, so I don't know if you want me to go into to that story or not. It's sort of Yeah, that's that sounds really neat. And I'm a huge proponent of always making sure that your water's purified, your air is purified in your home and that you're not accessing or allowing your body to be exposed to a lot of junk light like LED and I actually just made a free download. You guys can all pick it up right now at rachelvarga.ca forward slash slow aging. And it's nine tips for healthy skin and some biohacking tips in there for slowing your aging. So I'd love to hear your take on water. Okay. So I'm going to uh, begin a little bit in, with the story of how we discovered the switch, and then it will take me into why water is protective. So it's going to be a, a little circuitous, but it begins like this. You know, we were, when we discovered, you know, along with other people, of course, that if we gave sugar to animals, uh, that they started to become obese. And, um, that's not a big surprise, right? Everyone has been aware that sugar can cause obesity. But what we found was that there was an actual biologic process that sugar treated that was independent of calories. And uh, so sugar contains this glucose and fructose. And what we found was that when you gave fructose to animals, that it caused a drop in the energy in the cell. So normally when you eat a nutrient, you make energy, right? We eat calories and we use it to generate the energy to let us do what we want to do. And we call that energy ATP. And, um, and so that's how I'm talking, walking, exercising, you know, everything I do thinking is all burning this energy. And basically we eat food, we breathe oxygen, 
all to kind of help generate this energy that we use day to day. Now, there's two types of energy, though, really. There's the active energy we're using, which is the ATP. And if we have extra energy, we can store the energy and we store that as fat. And when an animal gets uh, fat and then hibernates, uh, when it's hibernating, it burns its own fat to produce the the energy it needs. So in other words, this that fat is like a stored energy. And when you burn it, you produce ATP. So ATP can, really has two sources. It can be in fat where it's stored and it's produced uh, when you burn the fat, or it can be made, you know, in real time. And, and uh, normally when an animal eats, uh in the wild it will you know use it to make energy and it always has a little fat to protect it in case there's like no food around but for the most part it will regulate its weight perfectly and it will if it eats more one day it eats less than next uh if it exercises more one day it'll either eat more to keep up with it or you know but basically it will stay in the perfect weight and actually people a lot of us when we were young, it was like very difficult to gain weight for many people and you, not for everyone, but a lot of people, they could say, you know, it doesn't matter. I can eat anything. I'm just, you know, and, and that's because initially humans also, every, we tend to regulate our weight. Well, initially is, uh, you know, in, in our early life, but when you eat fructose, what it does is it, uh, it, the, the, the ATP normally is produced in a, in a place called, called the mitochondria. And this is these little energy factories that are in our cells. And so they're pouring out the ATP. But what, what fructose does is it kind of stuns the mitochondria and it, it reduces the ATP that's produced. And when it reduces the ATP that's produced, the energy that's coming in, instead of being used to make ATP, is used to store fat. So the energy balance is still there. There's the same number of calories are going in, but more of them are being put into fat as stored energy than into, into real energy or ATP. So what happens is, is our ATP levels are fall. And when that happens, that's like an alarm signal to the animal that it should be hungry. Hey, my energy levels are low. I better go out and get more food and so forth. And, and, and also to, they get thirsty and they want more water. And, they, and so they start foraging for food and they, they uh, disengage their control of appetite where they now will keep eating. Uh, they don't know when they're full. And, and it's actually due to that disrupts the signaling in the brain that tells us when we're full. So this switch is like a, a magnificent thing that when it goes on, it helps an animal suddenly go from regulating its weight really well to suddenly gaining weight. And it starts to get fat and it becomes insulin resistant. And it does all these things that we call the metabolic syndrome uh, and that we think is bad. And it is bad for us, but for an animal, it's helping it prepare for when there's no food around. And even insulin resistance is a good thing for the, these guys because uh, what happens is that it means that there's less glucose being taken up in the muscle because the muscle requires insulin to, to take up the glucose. So the glucose, which is our main fuel in the blood, is not being taken up by the muscle. So there's more of it to go to the brain. And when there's not enough food around, you want to be insulin resistant so that you get enough 
glucose uh, for your brain because if the brain's not working, baby, you're not working. <laughs> so uh, what, what we discovered was that fructose activated this biologic switch. And fructose uh, is in the, in, in the wild, animals are eating fruit. And we know fruit is healthy, right? But these animals aren't eating two or three fruits or, you know, like we, when we say fruit's healthy, what we really mean is it's healthy if we eat one or two fruits with each meal, perhaps, or maybe, uh, but, but if you eat a huge amount of fruit, you start getting a lot of fructose, which is the sugar in fruit. And, and that's how animals trigger fat switch. If you put a dollop, you told me you put a dollop of honey in your coffee, a tiny bit of honey is not going to do it. But if you start eating honey on, on everything you're eating, you're putting honey here and honey there, you're going to get a lot of fructose because honey, the sweetness and honey is from fructose as well. So uh, it's all about portions, right? So if you eat uh, one natural fruit, it's got fiber, it's got vitamin C, it's got these things that kind of counter the fructose. And so natural fruits turn out to be healthy. But, but um, fruit juice, where you mix a lot of fruit together and now you, you've got a lot of sugar, that will trigger this switch. You and might as well just drink pop if you're drinking juice. Yes. Stop, stop drinking juice, everybody. I, I did a study with apple juice where I gave apple juice to people. And I could show that it, it triggered the switch. It, it triggered this biologic switch where it was going to make them hungry and all those things. And interestingly, if you want a trick, if you drink, we did this study where you drink it fast or drink it slow. And because, it, because the way this works, it's the concentration of fructose when the cells get see the fructose, then they drop the energy. But if a huge amount of fructose gets there, the energy drops even further. And the more it drops, the more severe the switch. So it's kind of like a dimmer or something. It, there's a, you can turn it on big time or you can turn it on a little. Uh, and so if you drink a, you know, a liter of apple juice, boy, <laughs> you're really activating the switch, especially if you drink it fast because it floods the system, right? Whereas if you drank the apple juice over a two-day period and you were, were eating other things to kind of slow the absorption and so forth, like uh, some fiber or something, then it would probably just be a calorie. But fructose is, acts, does not just act like a calorie because the concentration, if the concentration's high, it triggers that switch. And if it's really low, then it's just a calorie. But if, it's, if you get a high concentration, the switch is activated and boom, uh, you get hungry, thirsty, and so forth. So originally, we, when we discovered this, that there was an actual switch, we said, well, how's it working? And it turns out that it was that uric acid I told you about. So everybody has uric acid. Uric acid is, was thought to be a waste product. And it's sort of a waste product of ATP. When ATP is, is burned, you produce uric acid. And uh, also like when you break down DNA, it's like a nuclear, it's breakdown of nuclear material or RNA and so forth. It's basically a high nitrogen containing substance. And, uh, you know, uh, birds, when they poop it, it's the guano. It's that white stuff that, that you see on the walls of the cliffs where the swallows are, are dropping their, their, their poop. <laughs> and that's actually very high in uric acid. But anyway, uh, we make uric acid too. And of course, we don't poop it as guano, but we, we excrete it through our kidneys and uh, in the urine. And that's how we get rid of it. Uh, but it can build up. And if you eat a lot of foods that have a lot of sugar in it, a 
lot of fructose, you can get a high uric acid. You can also get a high uric acid from eating foods that are high in purines, uh, like beer. Beer uh, has uh, this brewer's yeast, and when and alcohol also breaks down a little bit to make uric acid. So alcohol and especially beer can uh, can produce uric acid. But one of our major sources is from fructose, and when that uric acid is made, it actually is what dampens the mitochondria to produce less ATP. So it's actually involved in kind of reducing the energy in the cell. And that makes you hungry and activates all these switches. So uh, the way it does it is it actually causes a thing called oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is part of the aging process. And, um, and, uh, and, and what it does is it causes oxidative stress right where you don't want it which is in our energy factories that make our energy. And, and when initially when the fructose uh, acts on it, it de decreases the energy just transiently. And that makes you hungry and you eat more. And then eventually you, you get back to normal. But if you keep eating a lot of sugar, which has fructose in it, over a long time, those mitochondria get beat up and, the, and suddenly you have less mitochondria because the recurrent oxidative stress takes a toll. And that is associated with aging. And that's part of the aging process is that we start losing these energy factors. And then we get tired more, we get weaker, we start getting muscle wasting, we get wrinkles, and, you know, we start aging. And, uh, you know, so what we thought of, you know, was could, could this pathway be involved in aging? And, uh, we had animals where, where we genetically could block this pathway, where they couldn't metabolize fructose, and they were protected from aging. Uh, they, you know, when you get, when you get older, you animals, including humans, will get aging changes in our kidneys. For example, our kidney function will start to decrease, um, and uh, just as we age, once you turn 50, your kidneys aren't working as well. And, the, and no one really understood what caused that aging process. But when we blocked this pathway, we, uh, the kidneys stayed normal. The animals did not get high blood pressure with aging. They stayed lean. Uh, they stayed, uh, you know, normal blood pressure, uh, no response to salt. I mean, they really were protected. Um, and we're doing more studies to look at how this blocks aging. Uh, you, you know, it was known a long time ago that uh, like fruit flies uh, will eat fruit and uh, but they eat small amounts of fruit and they eat it with a little, you know, they they eat the fruit with a with a fruit juice, but they also get other things in, in from the fruit. But if you give a, a fruit fly refined sugar, like liquid sugar, they like it, too. And they're getting fructose as well, but they're getting it highly concentrated. And it actually makes them die younger. They, they die younger. They, it accelerates aging in the fruit fly. And uh, they, de they develop kidney failure. The, the little flies actually develop kidney failure. <laughs> you probably didn't know that flies actually have a, something that's sort of equivalent to a kidney. And it's from uric acid. It was shown to be due to the uric acid that they were making from the sugar. That's so fascinating. So when you're <laughs> when you're mentioning sugar, you're mentioning grazing. Uh, actually, just last week, the same day, I saw a mama bear and uh, a baby bear. It was very How cool. cool. Very cool. From you know a safe distance, of course. 
thankfully not on the trail I was just on, that I came across a wild strawberry patch where, where surely they're going to be going. And I'm definitely going to be nibbling on those strawberries as well. Wild strawberries next to the ocean. This is nothing short of magical. I'm clearly living my best life over here, finding wild strawberry patches and the bears. But yes, this grazing type of approach is something that my husband does as a pro athlete. He eats very small amounts throughout the day. And as an athlete, he's putting his body through a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation through, you know, the whole getting your mitochondria to work to make that ATP. And then of course you get metabolic byproducts from that. So we did some testing and I came out nine years younger by um, biologically versus chronologically. And he was about two years younger. So clearly some of the biohacking stuff I'm doing to support my mitochondria are really helping. The blood sugar thing is the next deep dive I want to go through. And so, so this is something funny that came up for me while you were speaking. So if we're hungry and we're needing some energy, say that afternoon slump, you just like, you just need a snack, right? Don't reach for the sugary snack. What should we reach for instead? Yes. So actually those wild strawberries that you described would be a good one. So, uh, so let's talk about that again. So, um, wow. So uh, when a bear goes after fruit. It will eat huge numbers. Like uh, there was one study where they ate something like 10,000 berries in a 24 hour. They, they measured it in the scat. Yeah, there's <laughs> That's a job I don't want. But, it's all um, bears. When I'm on the trail, I know there's lots of bears around by how much scat I see. And it's exactly. just everywhere in the summer. And it's literally all berry seeds, like pounds right. of it. But with uh, berries, especially berries, um, they're not as rich in fructose, but they have a lot of really good things in them. Speaking of things like flavanols, like this, like strawberries, I think have one called facetin, and um, and blueberries, uh, you know, are really good. So they have these flavanols, and we actually found that some of these flavanols could block the effects of the switch, could block fructose. And and so things like wild strawberries and blueberries and things like that that are rich in these flavanols and, and vitamin C, they actually uh, neutralize the uh, fructose. And there's not much fructose in there. So you're actually doing well. Now, if you ate a huge number of them, you might, um, you, you, you might activate the switch. One of the things that probably feel yeah. like I'd want to take a nap. Those, yeah. those exactly. The energy, that. the ATV levels dropping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, um, yeah. So uh, one of the interesting things about fruit is that when the fruit we like tends to be a little bit tart and, um, and not super mushy or ripe, like some of the animals will actually like it when it's fallen off the tree and it's kind of mushy. Uh, and the reason the, Uh, animals like that is because um, as a fruit ripens, the sugar content goes up. So it gets sweeter. You've noticed that, I'm sure. But also the vitamin C and the flavanols and things like that go down so that uh, it's more like a fructose load. It's getting closer to being like a soft drink if you eat a whole bunch of them. But the fruits we tend to like, which are a little bit more tart, they tend to be vitamin C rich and flavanol rich and have less fructose and we don't eat as much. So anyway, so what I recommend is if you're, uh, you know, 
trying to, you know, make it through the afternoon without hitting the chips and the potatoes, uh, chips and stuff like that. Eat a natural fruit because it, it's got, with, you know, with whole fiber and all that stuff, just eat one. And, you know, and, see, and, and that should really help. And especially things like berries, kiwi uh, has very high vitamin C, low sugar, uh, you know, but, you know, it can be an orange. Orange doesn't have that much sugar, believe it or not. It's about six grams of fructose or so. But that's what I would do. Um, and then so anyway, so when we first did this study, these studies, we were focused on sugar as the bad guy and and high fructose corn syrup is, is its equal. Actually, high fructose corn syrup is a little bit worse when we compared the two. It was uh, even more potent at, at activating the switch, even when we we paired it up for exactly the same amount of fructose. So anyway, so we uh, so high fructose corn syrup and sugar were our main guys, and we said, "Oh my God, this is it! Uh, if we could just block that, we can have a huge effect." And then what we had this terrible discovery, Rachel. It was really disappointing. We had this discovery that the body, the body, can make fructose. Um, it was known, but no one thought that that it, the fructose made by the body could be responsible for obesity or responsible for aging. But what we found was that it it, it can be. And and the way you make fructose is you make it from glucose. And the way you get your glucose is from those potatoes, the French fries and the chips and all these, like the high glycemic carbs. And so when you're eating high glycemic carbs, even though it's starch, which is consists of glucose, in the body, it's being converted. A lot of it is being converted to fructose. And we know that you can make at least a, the equivalent of a can of soda uh, from, a, uh, from a high glycemic meal. So, um, so if you're really eating a lot of potatoes and rice, that actually activates this process too. And then, and then comes the water story. <laughs> so when we were looking at what, how the body made fructose, um, it, it actually requires an enzyme to be turned on. And enzymes are those things that, can, that basically drive a chemical reaction. And the reaction to convert glucose to fructose is a chemical reaction. So you have to convert and change the glucose over to fructose. And to do that, it's a chemical reaction. And that enzyme normally is present in very low levels in our body. So normally we don't uh, make convert a lot of glucose to fructose. But guess what turns it on? Sugar turns it on, um, uh, you know, and, and another thing that can turn it on, high glycemic carbs can turn it on, but when the glucose in your blood goes up, that turns it on. But another thing that can turn on the enzyme is dehydration and especially very, very mild dehydration. It's like, uh, and the easiest way to do that is to eat salt. And, uh, you know, salt, uh, a lot of people love salt. Uh, but if you eat a lot of salty food, especially with carbs, like French fries, <laughs> that salt will help convert the French fries to sugar, to fructose in your body. So the salt activates the enzyme and then the carbs convert get converted to, to fructose. So if you're on a low carb diet, you can eat a high salty food and it's, you don't have the carbs to convert. So the salt kind of just uh, doesn't have as much effect. 
But if you uh, if you're eating high salty foods with carbs, like uh, salting your potato and things like that, now you're going to start converting that 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 glucose to fructose. So when we learned that salt might be be a mechanism for driving obesity, we started looking at it in people, and by God, it was scary, Rachel. Um, most people who are overweight or obese are eating a lot of salt, and um, and 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 salt intake is just really um, pretty high in people who are obese, and and the signs of dehydration. Salt makes you thirsty, right? And that actually makes the salt concentration go up in your blood, and that's called dehydration. And uh, people who are overweight or obese are somewhere between two and twelve times more likely to be uh, dehydrated. So it turns out that it's a real common thing and that that dehydration, that salt adds to the sugar. So when you buy that popcorn that's got the salt and sugar mixed in it, <laughs> you're getting the double whammy. The sugar is bad, but the salt is act actually further activating this whole process to uh, to make make you fat and old because uh, because that remember the way the switch is working is it's causing oxidative stress of the mitochondria. And that's the hallmark of aging is to lose those mitochondria over time. And that's what this does. That's just crazy. So here I am making myself some healthy ramen with, you know, yam noodles that have no carbs. And Beautiful. What, else, what else would I put in there? I'd put in some some yams and some other some other vegetables. But then I have all this salt from my miso and soy sauce. So here I am trying to have like a healthy meal with some carbs. And then there's, you know, a, a fair amount of sodium in it. Little do I know that the mechanisms that are happening in my body is actually converting it to glucose, yeah. fructose. Yes. So the, wow. It, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it is having an effect. So, so one of the things we did was we started looking at this and we gave salt to animals and, you know, when you give sugar to animals, they get fat within a month or two. It takes it actually takes a month when you start giving sugar to a to a laboratory rat. It will actually try to regulate its weight for like that first month and it won't gain weight, even though it loves the sugar. It, it takes about a month for suddenly for it to to lose uh, its ability to regulate its weight. And at that point, then it starts to really gain weight. But with salt, it, it takes a lot longer. So uh, you, you give an animal salty food, it will go three months. It's eating more, but it just seems to burn more. I mean, it just keeps, keeps in, in check. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, everything goes to, to pot and the animal starts getting fat and diabetic and everything accelerates, hypertension. And if you block the switch, you block all the effects. They don't even get hypertensive. So the switch is actually... The production of fructose is actually even the reason salt drives blood pressure up. So then <laughs> this is where water comes in. So we realized that the salt uh, was working by increasing the concentration of salt in the, in the blood. And that was activating these, this enzyme to, uh, to convert glucose to fructose. But what if we could eat the salt, but could prevent the salt concentration from going up in the blood? In other words, if you, if you took salt and at the same time you took water, you could dilute the effects of the salt so that even though you're eating the salt, 
you wouldn't be activating the switch because the switch requires the salt concentration to go up and for you to get thirsty. In other words, if you ate uh, salt and drank water so you didn't feel thirsty, could that block the switch? And so what we did is we, we first did it in animals and we found that we could turn off the switch by just giving water. And, and it didn't even matter if it was from salt or sugar. So you give an animal sugar and you and you make them drink a lot of water, they could it could block that some of those enzymes and prevent uh, them from getting fat. So it was it was incredible. But we also looked at it uh, in people. So what we did is we gave people soup and, you know, <laughs> you can mix a lot of salt in, in like creamy soup and you can't tell how much you salt really have to be there. careful for the with those tinned and canned and prepared soups they are like. A salt oh, yeah. trap. Oh, I know. And I, I love those creamy soups, but you can you know, they can hide a lot of salt in there. And uh, and so we gave a soup with a lot of salt to people. And when we did, uh, we could show that the salt concentration goes up in the blood that activates the enzyme. And then we could show signs of dehydration developing. And we could show this big spike in blood pressure that occurred right away. And, and we could tell that the switch had been activated. We gave the same salty soup, the same amount to other people. And we gave them one group, we gave a small amount of water and another group, we gave a large amount of water. And we could block totally blocked the effects of the soup to activate the switch by increasing the water content to prevent, if we could prevent the salt concentration going up in the blood, we could prevent it. So what it means is that water, we can, you know, is a good thing because a lot of people are eating salty foods. A lot of people are eating, you know, those salted chips or whatever, whatever you're eating, <laughs> what do you got there? <laughs> and so when you're eating, uh, when you're eating salted food, uh, it's activating the switch and you can block it by drinking water. And that is why drinking water is so good because it helps keep you from activating the switch. And we, we later went on and actually showed that a hormone that's, that's turned on by dehydration, it's called vasopressin, actually is responsible for how sugar causes obesity. It works with the uric acid. And if you suppress that vasopressin hormone level with drinking water, you can block, you can block the development of obesity in these animals. So sugar and salt are both working through this mechanism uh, that uh, is kind of a, it's kind of activated by dehydration, but it's activated by salt, and it it's driving fructose production in the body. So it's not just the fructose we're eating but it's also fructose that we're making. Um, you know, my mind, you have no idea how much my mind is just blown because every time I have sushi and I have soy sauce with it, I'm just crazy thirsty. Hubby and I had yes. our anniversary the other day, went out for some sushi and, you know, go to a movie. I'm like, I'm so thirsty. And it's like your body clues in that. it. Yeah. Your body's, your body's activating the switch. The, so here's a great rule. This is just to help everybody. I mean, this is simple and it, it will definitely have a benefit. Drink six to eight glasses of water a day, uh, eight, at least eight ounces. Uh, you may need to drink more if you're really active, um, but drink six to eight glasses of water a day and drink a glass of water completely at the beginning of each meal. 
And what that does is it reduces the, the concentration of salt in your blood so that if you eat something salty, it's going to protect you. So drink a glass of water first. Drink one in when you get up in the morning, when you have breakfast, when you have lunch, when you have dinner, maybe in between. Try to get like six to eight, maybe even 10 glasses of water a day. But here's one thing. Please listen to me about this. There are people who can hold on, who drink too much water. So if you're drinking like 20 glasses of water, you can actually get into trouble. The body may have trouble getting, if you drink that much and you can have seizures and so forth. So keep to what my recommendation is. And then the second thing is, um, you know, uh, if you're a marathon runner, there's some people who run marathons where they will suddenly hold on to water very quickly, easily. And there've been deaths. There was a death in the Boston Marathon about three years ago where someone fell over after drinking too much water during the run. So what they say is if you're doing endurance exercise, like, uh, you know, you're on a treadmill for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, drink to thirst while you're doing it. Maybe, you know, the next day go back to drinking six to eight glasses of water a day. But if you're doing a marathon run or doing something really long, um, you know, just drink to thirst for endurance exercise. And also, if you've got a heart failure or things like that, talk to your doctor before you drink too much water. Uh, or if you have surgery, post-surgery uh, is another situation where you have to be careful. But for most of us, drinking water is simple. It's real. It's beneficial. We proved it. It isn't a myth. Those people running around with, the, with the, all the bottles of water and they're skinny, they're, they're skinny for a reason. Uh, the water is helping them. Exercise is helping them too. That's fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And as y'all know, this is not medical advice, even though we have a clinical medical doctor in the house here. This is educational information only. One right. weird thing I do before bed is I literally drink a liter of water before going to bed. And for whatever reason, I feel like it just helps my brain detox. I sleep better, but that's not for everybody, especially if you have a bit of a smaller a bladder. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, if I drink a liter of water before I go to bed, I, I would be up in about 30 minutes. But, I don't know uh, what it is. I always sleep better. Good for you. Good for you. I always wake up thirsty though. So mm -hmm. I think I'm thirsty I probably, right now. Yeah, I, I probably needed <laughs> to do more. So maybe I'll maybe I'll drink some waterfall water today, and I'll and I'll think of you for sure. <laughs> so I, I'm going to tell you another little story about aging um, that's sort of interesting, and that is um, so as you know, there's all this data that caloric restriction can uh, increase lifespan, and so. Uh, people like the people in Okinawa who uh, were just eating about two thirds what everybody else was eating, they tend to live longer. And uh, I think our research is sort of identifying a little bit of the way that works. So remember that with aging, we lose our energy factories. And so as we get older, our mitochondria aren't working as well. And then that makes us gain weight and we age because we can't, re you know, we can't repair things as well. And at the same time, we're um, also, um, you know, uh, having this um, continued oxidative stress that's causing aging. But the main oxidative stress to those mitochondria is when it's trying to store fat. So when you're eating excess of food and you're storing fat because uh, you've activated the switch, that's 
what's driving the aging process and, and the, the uh, oxidative stress to those mitochondria are causing their, them to, over time to, to decrease in number. So when you do caloric restriction, you are actually reducing the oxidative stress of the mitochondria and so you live longer. But if you actually didn't eat the foods that activate the switch, like high glycemic foods and a lot of sugar and stuff, if you could reduce your intake of that, because you can't stop that, but you could reduce it, you're going to get the same benefit. So that it turns out that when we block this, the switch, or if we, what happens is these, these factors that are associated with aging longer and, and with longevity and with youth, those factors stay high in, in the in the body, and we we can measure them. There's these things called sirtuins, for example, and things like that. And so we can show that the aging process is really linked with uh, with this this fructose pathway. So I believe that sugar and soft drinks and fruit juices, high glycemic foods, um, and uh, things like beer all activate this process that can cause aging. So how do we block it? Well, we talked about uh, one, one was drinking a lot of water because it act, actually blocks this process. Obviously, avoiding sugary beverages, not putting sugar in your coffee. Uh, green tea uh, actually stimulates mitochondria. I so love does, matcha tea. I uh, love, yeah. Yeah, that's, this is actually my matcha cup. I, sometimes I'll have matcha or coffee. I kind of mix it up a little bit, but I always feel better on yep. the days I have matcha. I'm going to take, I'm going to follow your lead there. I like green tea and, uh, and coffee is actually healthy. I'm drinking coffee. You just uh, have to make sure it's organic. It's right. been mold tested. You're making it with filtered water. You're not boiling yeah. your water in like a plastic kettle and getting plastic micro, you know, microplastics that way. And also if you are having green tea, make sure it's always organic because the first time that the coffee or the tea gets hot water poured over it, if it's not organic, it, you're literally drinking pesticides. So. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> and also, <laughs> oh my God, go does for Star a sleep. I, I, does Starbucks have the good coffee? I hope. Anyway, don't. I feel like I feel terrible after Starbucks coffee. I get like jittery and I don't feel oh, wow. very good. So here, I love everything you've shared. I've just gotten so much out of hosting this episode with you here on the Rachel Varga podcast. I've learned so much. I'd love to have you back on the show. So get your wheels turning about content that, you know, come back with us and hang out with us again and share with us uh, some more insights to slow aging. But I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to eat less salt. I am going to right. eat wild berries. Yes. Vitamin <laughs> C is good too. Taking vitamin C is good. Oh yeah, I do all sorts of wonderful and, and things like protocol. omega omega three, uh, like in salmon and yeah, uh, I eat you know, all that's salmon. good. Yeah, that's good stuff too. Yeah, actually, you should. I eat a, I eat a lot of raw right. salmon actually. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, antioxidants, omegas, collagen. Yeah. I'm making sure you have your trace your trace vitamins, minerals. If you want any specific recommendations 
for products, for skin and all of that, send me an email info at rachelvarga.ca and I will get you set up. Be sure to pick up a copy of Dr. Johnson's book. Nature wants us to be fat. I don't think nature is the only thing that wants us to be fat and sick. I think that there's some other people out there that want us to continue to buy some more of their products. The food industry. (laughs) Don't get me started on that. Big Cosmo is just as bad as big food. The more I dive into the sourcing of ingredients and hormone disruption and all that craziness, it's just as bad. Processed foods are filled with salt and sugar, so... Yeah. So learn more about Dr. Johnson and work with him at www.drjohnson.com. His direct link is in the show notes. And can you please share exactly how people can work with you? Yeah. So, yeah. So my website is drrichardjohnson.com. And uh, you can also, that's a very good site to to try to reach me through uh also um you can reach me through the ben bella which is the publisher for nature wants us to be fat and my book is available on all you know amazon barnes and noble books a million all these different uh, avenues so venues good wonderful thanks for being on the show and thank you can't wait for the questions after this episode for my clients and requests for next episodes. And to, if you can uh, also book a time to be back on the show in the next little while and just share some more insights with us, because I love how you present. I love your knowledge. I can tell that you are just a rock star healer yourself. Your clients are so lucky to work with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And you are a rock star too, for sure. Anyway, thanks.